0: Hello everyone, this is Martin Hugh. Welcome or welcome back to another episode of the show. It is a snowy Christmas day here in Montreal, Canada. I wanted to wish you happy holidays. Hope you're taking some time off to recharge and relax as we approach 2023. I'm gonna keep my preamble short as I wanna get right into this fun and wide-ranging convo with our guest today, Marlo Johnson. Marlowe is a phenomenal artist and author of two books. Her art is an exploration of the relationship between consciousness and physicality. She creates as a reminder to bring herself back into states of positivity, and she offers her art to others as a similar inspiration, a way to propagate and normalize peace, compassion, joy, and feminine power. Each painting is meant to be used as a tool for meditation and the awakening of a particular state of being. In her words, sit with it, quiet your mind, and observe how it makes you feel. We're going to touch on a lot of these points, and you're going to notice that even the tone of the talk is more serene and calming. That's because I spent a good amount of time observing her works before the recording. You can find her at marlow.eth on all socials. And now, without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Marlo Johnson. Marlo... It's awesome to finally have you on the podcast uh, and you've come prepared with the equipment and all <laughs> new, mic. I love it. Thanks for taking the time.
1: Yeah. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Um, I thought we would start with uh, your artistic style. You know, one of the great things that I've seen through your work and got introduced to your work via Proof Collective is that I find it very unique. And I know we can technically say that about every artist out there. But there's really a distinctive feel about your work. It's very light. It's very soothing. It's almost like a depiction of letting go, so to speak. And my question to you is, how did you arrive at this style and how is it evolving over time?
1: Um, Well, my work was really inspired by my meditation practice and sort of my inner journey. When I was younger, I was like in a much darker place. And in my 20s, after I started meditating, um, I really was able to let go of a lot. And I started feeling like real happiness for the first time and inspiration. And I really wanted to share that journey with people. So my work is because it's inspired from within. I think that's what makes it not look so much like other people's work because I don't use references from outside.
0: Can you tell us a bit more about your meditation practice?
1: I've been meditating probably since my mid twenties or so. Um, quite a while now. (laughs) And do you,
0: do you go like into these like long meditations or is it just like small increments every day?
1: There's some days where I feel like I need more meditation where I might meditate for three hours or something, but most of the time I would say probably about half an hour in the morning when I first wake up and I can go to about an hour and that's pretty standard for me.
0: I have a very similar practice. I don't go to an hour yet, but uh, I do 20 minutes every morning. It's been very helpful.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things that once it clicks for you, it's like, it's pretty life-changing and it's hard to imagine going back to before.
0: It's interesting how a lot of times we we're so busy with our minds and we're constantly running on a treadmill almost that we we make excuses to not have enough time for like a meditation practice. I remember before I got into meditation, I would say, I have no time in a day. Why would I like allocate 20 minutes or 30 minutes of my morning to this? But then as you do it, it just becomes a habit. And actually you're more energized as you start the day. So
1: yeah, I think you become a more efficient person as you meditate more and It's like, it saves you time in the long run.
0: So I have come prepared and done my homework uh, as per (laughs) your Twitter message. So for the audience listening, Marlo DM me on Twitter telling me about two of her works. Do you say Bliss 1 or Bliss
1: 001? Uh, It doesn't matter to me. Whatever you want to say is good.
0: Okay. So two of her works, which is Bliss 1 and Awakening 1. And she told me instead of thinking when I look at them, Instead of doing that, observe my body's reactions to the work and see what I feel for each one. And uh, she was saying that they are very different. And I've done it for about 30 minutes in the morning, right after my meditation. And what I've noticed is that each of them has a distinctive feel and perhaps like it evokes a different sentiment when you look at them. Mm-hmm. So for the first one, Bliss01, 001, And you'll tell me if I got this right or maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, this is a test for sure. I see the idea of ascending. You know, I think a lot of times we want to accomplish a lot of things in life and we forget being and enjoying that present moment. Mm
1: -hmm. And so I,
0: I feel like that bliss one really reminds me of that.
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely room for interpretation. But I was curious about how the each work gave you a different feeling viscerally And then how you interpret that feeling can be different. So for me, bliss is very physical. Um, I feel like a lot of energy moving up and down my body when I look at that artwork and it feels like very kind of rejuvenating and energizing to me. So I think that's similar to in line what you're saying.
0: I feel like, and it's, this is for both of the works. I feel like I could be looking at them forever. Mm-hmm. and one of the things I've noticed with awakening one is that I found myself trying to detect patterns while I, f- I was first looking at it. So I would see circles appearing and I'd be like, okay, this is the next circle that's <laughs> going to appear. And then this one, and then this one, and at some point I just lost the pattern and it just felt like, okay, I was just observing this for what it was and not trying to like label, uh, the artwork, so to speak. So In that sense, it's very good at like getting me into like a meditative state of mind.
1: Yeah, for that one, it's really about getting out of your head and quieting your mind. And it's interesting because for me, bliss is very like about the body and physical. Um, And awakening is more about the head, but in a strange way, like it really quiets my head and kind of makes my head tingly it's, it's interesting. It's interesting that you can look at an artwork and it, it has a physical effect on you.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to go over one of the tweets that uh, I think it's been a couple of weeks back or a month back that you said this, but you, uh, and this is what the tweet says, it says, I do a behind the scenes video of my creative (laughs) process, but it's 90% me healing past trauma and meditating. So I have to ask you, since I have you on the podcast, what is your creative process like and how does that differ across the different mediums you use?
1: Yeah, that one was kind of a joke, but not a joke. (laughs) Because there's so many cool videos of people, artists doing behind the scenes stuff. And mine is like going to therapy and (laughs) crying in a corner (laughs) or meditating or whatever. And it's like, I don't think anyone wants to see that, but... Um, For me, art and life are the same thing. There's not really a distinction between the work that I do externally and internally. So, um, yeah, my process is really about finding states of consciousness that are worth embodying and worth expressing to people because a lot of artists, they express what they're feeling And there's nothing wrong with that. But my personal preference is to express feelings that are more elevated. And like I said, like I I was in such a, a dark place when I was younger. When I was just expressing my feelings back then, it was just like dark and cynical work. And that just didn't feel right to me. So my process is really mostly... Getting to a place where I am able to express joyful and and positive states, that was my biggest challenge for sure. Because it's not my, I'm I'm not like naturally like a happy, bright, joyful person. So that journey is really the biggest thing for me and what I am making now.
0: I love that. And I feel like the, the most addictive form of drug is the emotions we feel. And we'll constantly try to relive those past traumas or those past emotions we're attached to. And it can become very, almost like um, self-fulfilling if you always feed your mind the same type of emotions. So for example, like uh, even me, like as a, I do a bit of drawing as well and I I play electric guitar, but if I'm fueled on anger or perhaps anxiety or just this idea of it's me against the world. It's just tapping onto a different type of energy that eventually becomes draining. Mm -hmm. But I love the fact that you're taking that different approach, which is like you're actively working on yourself to put out stuff that will bring positivity and light to the world.
1: Yeah, I feel like what we put out in the world does have an effect on things. Like even the smallest things have some sort of effect, even if it's tiny. So... It's really important to me as much as I can to really focus on making the world more positive and at least my little corner of it.
0: And have you felt in your experience that you gradually built up to that? Because I feel like even with the meditation practice, a lot of it has to do with doing it daily and making it a habit. Is it the same thing for your work? Uh, How was that transition from going to perhaps a darker place where you were fueled by more negative emotions and getting to this place now where you're more fueled by a lighter aspect.
1: I think it's both fast and slow. I think we have access to higher states of consciousness, whatever you want to call it, like a flow state or anything like that. Um, We have access to that anytime. So it's like if, if you were in an accident or something, you can switch on to this like really super intense altered state of consciousness. So it's not necessarily something you have to work a hundred years to get to this like higher plane. Like You can really access any state you want really in a short period, but then maintaining it is the part that is slow, like learning how to maintain lighter, happier states. That's a, a lot more of a challenge.
0: When you think about colors and you implement them into your work, do you have a specific science that you follow or you're just really following your personal intuition and gut?
1: I think it's both, but it's, it's not like a, a conscious science. So mm. with any artwork, there's kind of, you could almost say like a scientific formula that's followed So if you're watching someone paint, you can kind of get that formula into your head and almost know what they're going to do next because there's some sort of logic or formula there, but it's something you're generally tapping into intuitively.
0: When you create your works, do you think about how it will be received by your community or are you just like purely expressing? Maybe another way to phrase this is. Do you think about the marketing aspect of your artwork or are you purely following what feels right to you?
1: I think it's really important as an artist to create in a pure way as much as you can, ignoring any external pressure or opinions. With that said, though, that doesn't mean you have to market the work that you think is too personal or too weird or anything like that. So it's really kind of two separate things. I think you should make the weirdest, most fun and authentic work you can. And then you can kind of use your intuition to decide which stuff should be put out in the world, uh, which stuff should be marketed or minted. Um, But definitely don't you don't need to market everything you make.
0: I'm curious because I think a lot of artists out there, even the people listening, sometimes might find themselves. Trying to live up to like short-term expectations, and perhaps you know that can be to uh, sustain themselves financially. How do you approach that?
1: Yeah, um, as much as I can, and this is in my first book too. I instead of focusing on marketing and appealing to a market, I focus on intention and successfully completing that intention. So if you think about what you want your work to do for people to benefit people. And then the way you put that work out into the world should align with that. So if you're trying to spread whatever peace and love and happiness and whatever whatever cheesy stuff you wanna put out there, then you I put love it, cheesy you put it out there in a way that aligns with that rather than trying to sell it, you're just completing your mission of spreading those good feelings. I hated cheesy when I was younger and like all depressed and shit. Like cheesy was like so cringe, (laughs) so lame and cringe. Like, <laughs> it's funny how, when you like let go of a lot of your cynicism and negativity, like the, the stuff you thought was cheesier is actually the most real and important stuff.
0: So wait, when you were younger, did you, did you almost like despise this idea of like someone being very meditative and calm and, and happy?
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. Yeah, like people, if you are happy, you're like a huge asshole and I hated you. <laughs> and then like one of the first exposures I had to meditation and stuff was The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And I was like, I hate this guy. <laughs> this guy is so annoying and he wants me to like feel all my shitty feelings and I don't want to. And I used to listen to that audiobook just to like calm down. And I didn't really do the stuff he said because it annoyed me, but eventually it kind of seeped into my consciousness, I think.
0: And that's the power of audio, I feel. The more you listen to someone, the more you kind of absorb almost like a sponge what they're talking about. And Eckhart Tolle has such a calming voice, (laughs) it becomes addictive in some way.
1: Yeah, I really like that audiobook and and the way he pronounces ego sounds so much like eagle to me and it just like makes it more entertaining to listen to how much he hates eagles.
0: <laughs> One of the concepts I've never fully understood, and maybe you can give me some insight on this, but what do you think he means when he says like pain body?
1: Yeah, I think the pain body he's talking about is like a stored accumulation of trauma. So Mm. a lot of people talk about trauma being stored in the body. And I think he's just saying that same thing, but in a more holistic sense that includes like your energetic body or like your whole being rather than just your physical body.
0: Is there a specific work you've done, you know, that just surprised you with the response it's gotten?
1: Good question. I feel like the most surprising thing for me is how much people get what I'm trying to say because the work is abstract and so simple, but people will tell me their response to it, but it's exactly what I had intended. And so that's been really cool to see because of how, how intuitive my process is. It's like abstract and... Like when I set out to make something, I'm not like, okay, this color does this to your brain and this whatever does this. Right. It's just like fully intuitive and yet it's so successful so far.
0: A lot of times I feel like when I look at your work, it is simple, but it's also quite complex, you know? And, and I think that it embodies meditation very well because a lot of times we we try to like understand life rationally or we try to understand reality rationally or at least our sense of self rationally overcomplicated with layers of of labeling and, and and just conditioning we've gotten over time. And I feel like your work is kind of stripping away all that and really forcing us to look at what's right in front of us. And so in that sense, I really love what you've been putting out. And I was curious about how you actually put those together. Is there a process of using a certain program Uh, if you can divulge any of that, or like, what does that look like when you create those works?
1: When I first started digital art, it was in Photoshop because I already knew how to use Photoshop from photography early on. And I just wanted to see what would happen. Like it was, I really approached it in a curious way. And when I have a vision for a work, I just do it. Like I don't think about how to do it or plan how to do it. I just do it. <laughs> like I just intuitively know how to do it. So um made something in Photoshop and I was like, well this could look interesting animated. I think it could really express the intention of the work better. So I looked up how to make a frame animation in Photoshop and and then just made it work somehow.
0: And it's basically, what is it? Like 24 frames a second? I
1: think it's like 30 and there's generally over 200 frames per animation.
0: In uh, another one of your tweets, you said it's a good time to see if your current path aligns with your highest values. Do you know what your values are? Ignoring them invites pain and confusion. Living them brings satisfaction, clarity, and inspiration. Can you tell us a bit about your values and what is important to you?
1: Yeah, I feel like living your life based on some sort of higher value or something outside yourself is kind of like the biggest life hack because it really changes. It changes you on so many levels and it really brings a lot of inspiration to everything you do. Um, For me, I think choosing a value that's really almost impossible to fully realize is the most inspiring because you can work towards it forever and not really get tired of doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it's really about unity consciousness, which I don't see a lot of people talking about, but (laughs) basically the idea that we're all connected and everything you do has an effect on the whole. I feel like it's really empowering because you can look at something that you don't like in the world and all you have to do to help with that particular issue is to look at yourself and change something in yourself to make it a little bit better.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when we think about goals or intentions or things we're working towards, there's two ways of seeing it because I feel like sometimes people set goals so high that they naturally make excuses never, never to reach them. But then there's also the people like you, where it fuels them. For me, it's, you know, somewhere in the middle. Cause I I know when I get too up there, should I say too much in the clouds? I tend to give myself too much leeway or timeframe to achieve that. Do you ever feel like you need to motivate yourself to to create, or does that come naturally?
1: I think that. For the really big impossible goals, it can be helpful to make something abstract, like what I was saying about unity consciousness, like working towards like the oneness of society or civilization is never going to happen in my lifetime, but I can work toward that in any way, big or small. And then I can set smaller goals, like complete this painting or complete this animation or share so many new works per month or something like that. So I think it's good to have like an umbrella goal and then attainable small goals within it. And about creation, like for me, everything is creation. Like everything you do is part of your creation that is you and your life. So there's no needing to motivate because it's automatic.
0: Mm-hmm. And is that something you do? Meaning, like you you set daily goals or weekly goals or monthly goals so that you know you're you're keeping yourself accountable and you're staying on track in some way.
1: Yeah, I try to set as, as few goals as possible because I like to be more spontaneous and open to new inspiration. So, um. For sure I will have some smaller goals, but for the most part, I like to be free form.
0: Very similar in that way. Like I feel like when I structure my day too much, it just gives me a lot of stress instead of being actually productive. So yeah. I, I like to just give a general skeleton structure and then I play within that that boundary, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I would say I'm the same.
0: Another great quote from you that I love is rest is not a reward for good work, but a prerequisite. Can you elaborate on that? You seem, as you mentioned before, you were probably someone that was more identified with the negative aspect, the the heavy aspect of like, you know, I have to work hard. It has to be hard. It has to be challenging for me to produce good work. But I feel like you've shifted your outlook and your perspective. And now it's almost like it has to come from a place where it's easy. And you're rested. Uh, Can you talk a bit about that?
1: Yeah, all of the stuff that I write about and tweet about is, like, all stuff I really learned the hard way. (laughs) Um, So I like to share what I can and and hopefully influence people in a positive way so they don't have to go as deep into despair.
0: (laughs) Oh, but sometimes you have to make the mistake to know it's a mistake.
1: (laughs) Totally, yeah. Some people, like myself, like learning from experience, but... Yeah, there's like these these toxic productivity ideas and mindsets that are so pervasive about how your worth comes from your how hard you work or your productivity level. And it's so problematic and destructive to think like that because your worth is really not something that can change you just are worthy just because you're, you're alive. Um, So when we get into these like capitalist ideals, it's really, it can cause you a lot of problems in life. And I don't think it's a good thing to spread around like all these productivity hacks and all these things that are like so self-sacrificial. A lot of that is just the fact that your peak state or your like your best state is like a, a state of relaxation and a state of flow. Um, and that's something that you can't stress yourself into or work hard into. It's really uh, something you have to relax into. So if I am not in that relaxed state of flow, then I don't consider the work as valuable. I still consider myself valuable no matter what, but the work itself Um, I think is more valuable when it's done from a flow state.
0: But you feel like sometimes you have to push through that. And what I mean by this is, you know, sometimes you're not in the best state possible, but then you start the work and the work induces or is inducting you into like a, a more peaceful and meditative state.
1: Yeah, I think there's like a, like a Pavlov's dog response almost that can help you to achieve the states you want by working. But you also need to have like a lot of self-awareness too, because I find that if I'm not in that state easily, there's generally something I'm ignoring that I need to deal with. So that could be like, I forgot to eat today. (laughs) Or it could (laughs) be like, I'm like out of integrity and I'm trying to like, force myself into creating something that's really out of alignment for me. And I could force myself to start and I could make a thing and feel sort of like in a creative state, but then realize after that it's like, it just doesn't feel good. So I think there's a trap there. You have to be really aware of forcing yourself is often the hard way and you often end up neglecting other things you needed to do first.
0: 100%. And I feel like that's with any type of relationship, you know, your relationship to yourself, but also your relationship to others, right? Sometimes we think it has to be, you know, hard so that it makes the relationship more valuable in some sense. And uh, I've personally felt that with, the work we do. So, I own a marketing agency. And I think starting out, you want to get as many clients as possible and you want to, you know, prove yourself and do a lot of work. But then eventually, what you find out is that there's some clients that are just not meant for you. Yeah. Have you done some, as an artist, like do you do some collaborative work with some other brands?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting topic because when I was younger and I was doing photography, I would work for anyone basically. And it was, (laughs) it was not always good. Like, I really think that um, the more you can have a high standard for yourself and your relationships and including your working relationships, it's really a lot more valuable in the end. And that includes financially because the people who are the wrong clients for you are going to like suck you like bleed you dry and it's not good for your business
0: and not a good use of your time as well because there there could be someone else that values what you do 10x that other client and is willing to happily pay you for that and wouldn't like ask you twice about something but then there's people that you know you could do the most awesome work and try to prove yourself and everything you show to them they'll be like no, this is not the way I like it. I want to change that. I want to change this.
1: Yeah. It's funny because it seems like the more you charge people, the better clients they are. Like when you're (laughs) charging, like when I used to do like a website or something for 500 bucks, like those were the worst clients ever. Like my best clients are the ones that I've charged the most. Like you could, you can charge someone like $10,000 for something and they'll be like, Oh yeah, looks great. Thank you so much. And <laughs> that's it. Like
0: Yeah. It's, there's actually a meme with that where, um, I forgot like what it actually says, but it's like two, two sections. And it's like, it says a uh, $500 client. I want you to know that. I put my wholehearted trust in you and, (laughs) and like, you know, this is going to be very important for us and whatnot. And then the other clients, like a 50 K client, it's just like money sent. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's true. Like when you start out, you, you get so like, worried that you have to take these crappy clients to stay afloat and it's-
0: And it's such a insidious pattern too, because you spend all your time on those, let's say like $500 clients. Yeah. And, and I mean, it always depends on the business model, right? For but sure. I'm talking generally like as an artist or somebody that does some creative work, you, you tend to focus on these smaller clients because you think that that's what you're worth. And so you, it's draining 100% of your time So you don't have enough mental bandwidth to even look at someone that might, you know, instead of having like 10 clients that pay you 500, you could have one client that pays you 5,000. It would be a lot easier. You're just totally blind to that. It's interesting.
1: I think it's just a matter of like scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. And when you're in that scarcity mindset, getting clients that also have that mindset and don't want to pay you, it's like just all negative all around. But if you can learn to value yourself, raise your rates and attract more abundant mindset clients, it's really a life changer.
0: You know, it's funny because if you would have told me three, four, five years ago about this kind of stuff, I would have laughed you out of the room and I would be like, (laughs) yeah, get out of here. Like with your attracting, like, you know, the law of attraction and the secret (laughs) and stuff like that. (laughs) And now I'm like, yeah, I just think it makes sense. It's just logical. If if you're around people that value your work, your circle will become deterministic of what you get.
1: Yeah, it's about what you put out. Like if you value yourself, that changes your behavior and your wording and everything that you put out. And so logically, um, that's going to affect who appreciates you and what people think about you. If, mm-hmm. if you show a lot of self-worth and confidence, a lot of people are like vampires. They will, <laughs> they'll see that and they'll be turned off because they know they can't screw you over, or use you the way they want.
0: Eckhart Tolle was like, that was like your introduction to meditation.
1: Yeah, I think it was as far as I can remember.
0: And then from there, what pushed you to keep listening to that and you know, what drove that? practice was it just that single book or eventually you got curious and you got more resources
1: i just noticed how even just listening to the audiobook helped me to feel better so i just kind of eased into it slowly i think and after i started trying to meditate on my own was when i actually started feeling like real happiness and positive feelings for possibly the first time in my life <laughs> like what is mm-hmm. this? Like, this, I didn't think this was going to happen to me ever. Like, I thought I was just like a depressed person, and that's how it was going to be. So, it was obviously very motivating when you experience that kind of change.
0: With your relationships, whether it's like loved ones or, you know, even your partner, how have they supported your art or how have they held you back? And how do you, how, how do you, Make sure all of it is in unison so that it can help you flower as an artist instead of like holding you back.
1: Yeah, I've found that when you really grow and change a lot as a person, you can get strong reactions. So some people might be happy for you, but if you're going from like a dark place to a light place, like back in that dark place, the people around you were probably mostly similar to you. So when you start to like value yourself more and value the energy that's around you from people and have higher standards in your life, that can be really off-putting for people. So I'd say it's been mixed and I've really had to, like I've had to really prioritize myself and my art in a really strong way and just say like, this is how it is
0: (laughs) Yeah, like draw some boundaries.
1: Yeah, like I've, it's not like I say, like, oh, I'm going to do this. And people are like, oh, let's help you. Let's do all this stuff for you. Like, (laughs) you just have to do it. You have to do it for yourself.
0: You're really into, well, recently I saw that you were into beaded painting. Mm -hmm. How did you get into that? And what sparked this kind of passion?
1: Um, Well, I was uh, working on, regular sort of acrylic paintings on canvas. And I wanted to find a way to express light and like sublime, kind of sublime feelings. And um, I was looking at translucent materials and I just got on this like crazy, (laughs) this crazy path of experimenting with all different types of translucent um, mediums and Eventually, I thought about using beads because um, my work, even my digital work, is generally like really bright colors. And then I put um, a translucent layer on top. I can show you the beads. Um oh, nice. The screen is so little.
0: Oh, no, I, that's awesome. Yeah, I see.
1: Yeah, so huh. I'll generally put um, color underneath and then this is like white translucent beads on top. Um, and it just really fit with what I was doing. Cause it's so meditative. You can see on the back, it's like all the little oh, threads. I still have to tuck yeah. in all the ends, but each bead is, is its own stitch. Um, so then
0: you would put a color behind that.
1: Yeah. The painting is underneath. I did that first. And then I just put the beads on top one by one.
0: Wow. That's, that must take a lot.
1: of time. <laughs> this was about <laughs> 140 hours of work.
0: My God. When yeah. you work with them um, digital versus physical, do you have to adapt your approach uh, and do you feel like it's different or no difference at all?
1: Um, the thing that changes the most is kind of the intensity of the creative flow. Like if I'm doing a big physical painting, it's very like physical and intense. And then if I'm doing the beaded work, it's very slow and more mellow and calm. Um, And then digital is probably in between somewhere.
0: Are you more of a morning or night owl kind of person when you create?
1: I would say I'm a morning meditator person. I like to meditate in the morning for sure. And then um, what, when I create kind of depends on what I'm doing. If I want to do like really intense, deep work, I will do it right after meditation before looking at any uh, social media or emails or my phone or anything.
0: Talking about social media and discord, (laughs) which we all all love love and hate. hate. How do you manage all that? Like, do you, you know, you, you have a, quite a community that follows you and a community that is uh, supportive of your work. How do you make sure you're staying creative, you're producing, you're giving some output, but also you're being there and listening to the people that want to reach out to you?
1: It's a really hard thing to balance. And I find when, when I first got into NFTs, it was like early 2021 and things were so crazy and intense I would oh be on God, yeah. I would be on the internet till like 12 or 1 in the morning and then wake up and like immediately go onto Twitter and Discord <laughs> and like what's happening today what are we minting today? <laughs> I was actually never too much of a degen like that but um it's it has been nice uh, the last few months it's been a bit quieter and it feels like more of the core people are left So it's a lot easier to balance, but you really have to prioritize and make sure that you get creative work done every day. Because as an artist, if you don't do that, you get kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. And also you you lose that momentum, I feel.
1: Yeah. Momentum is really important in a creative practice as well as like as far as like selling your work. A lot of artists can't come back as easily if they just disappear for months on end and then come back and try to pick up where they left off.
0: That's what I find is almost counterintuitive. A lot of times when people think about meditation and productivity. And (laughs) I was, I, I consider myself like in that camp too, when I first started, I always thought that, you know, if you were meditating, you were kind of passive. But then I realized that meditation is kind of like the ultimate tool for you to be more productive Mm -hmm. in a sense. Like I felt myself achieving more.
1: If you're a creative person, I find the more you meditate and get into the right state of being, the more inspired you get. So it's actually really good to meditate. It's really good to journal and be bored and give yourself a lot of space where there's no inputs. Because creative flow is like a flow from inside to outside and then social media and everything we spend most of our time doing is a flow from outside to inside. So if you're, if you're just like absorbing and feeding off of like everything around you all day, that's really not conducive to creative work.
0: It's like this um, difference between being reactive and proactive.
1: I find like a lot of
0: people are so reactive to the outside environment, what's happening on social media, what's happening on discord, (laughs) (laughs) like what's mint in today. And I remember that, like the early 2021 uh, proof days where like on the server every, you know, every morning I felt like I had to catch up with everything Mm because I'm like, did I miss something? And when you start your day like that, of course, you're already feeling like you're one step behind and you're already not in a good state of mind to create because you're already reactive.
1: Yeah, exactly. Creativity is fully about the being proactive and choosing what to put out into the world that's not already in the world. So if, you're, if all you're doing is reacting and deriving everything you do from what you're seeing, that's not, not as creative.
0: A final question that I have for you, Marlo, what are you working on at the moment and what can, uh, the fans, the supporters, the community <laughs> expect from you in the following months?
1: Well, I just finished that bead painting and I'd like to focus more on digital for a little while. So I'll probably do some additions, some more accessible stuff. Um, I also need to do some more one-of-one animations, but I think it'll be some smaller additions for a while and, uh. I'll be starting new bead paintings too.
0: Very cool. So uh, they can follow you on socials at Marlo Johnson, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, if you just look up Marlo that's kind of the easiest way to find me everywhere. So.
0: Awesome. Well, Marlo, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time and um, see you soon.
1: Yeah. Thank you. It was nice to talk with you.
0: That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please consider leaving a review for me. Um, It's always super helpful to get that kind of feedback uh, of what I'm doing right, what I could improve. And uh, so if you can take 13 to 35 seconds of your time to share some thoughts with me, I would really appreciate
1: it. Thank you again for listening and uh, until next time.